titled this sermon, uh, Holiness Among Us. The word holiness in the original language means separated. He's not of this world. He is not like this world. And I guess in, in all honesty, that would be one of the greatest understatements ever made. But I think about this at times because he was born to human parents. Just regular old people. Actually, if you're really honest with it, a bunch of nobodies. They uh, earned a living. They happened to be of the lineage of David, which is the kingly line of Israel. But if you really are really honest with yourself, a bunch of nobodies, just people up in uh, Nazareth in the Galilee in the area, which is considered an agricultural area. So it's just a bunch of nobodies. But I always thought about this. This child was born in holiness. Okay, if you've ever had kids, do you know what that means? Because I don't. I don't know how to comprehend that. An absolute sinless child. I don't know how that works. We, each and every one of us, was conceived in sin. And how in the, you know, James's brother would say, Mom loved him more. <laughs> Why? What hassle would he be? Absolute holiness. He was nothing like the world. And that's always fascinated me. You know, I was thinking that maybe sit down one time in heaven and get Mary and Joseph says, explain that to me. That seems odd. Okay. But I want us to think about this infant. Because that's what, you know, we, we've got this in our mind. It's Christmas and the little baby Jesus. And he's got the manger thing that we see. And um, it's it's nothing like what you see in the nativity scenes around here or whatever. The mangers in Israel, I've been there. Every one of them is the same. And they're hewn out of stone. And it's a piece of limestone that they cut a cup into and it holds the hay, and that's where the infant would have been. Every home in the Bethlehem area had a barn attached to the house. The upstairs, which was a living compartment, was open to the barn, so he would not have been looking for a place to stay, spend the night in Bethlehem, because he was of the line of David, and they would have greeted their owns, and they would all been welcomed in anybody's home. So the home they stayed in had a barn on it. When the child was birthed, they probably put it down to take it away from the hustle and the bustle of the uh, family living area. And that's why he was down in a manger. See, we have uh, Americanized baby Jesus. Okay, but I want you to think about it from a different perspective. Okay, holiness among us. I'm looking at the text out of the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 13 and following. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us 
and to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all of creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's baby Jesus. A little bit different than a helpless child in a manger in Bethlehem. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Without Him, we would all remain in the dominion of darkness, living on what we think are logic and reason of our own thinking, our own abilities. That's the dominion of darkness. There is no rescue out of that for a human without divine intervention. That's why Jesus, God, took on the form of man. That's why you look in the gospel record, he's referred to as the God-man and the Son of Man. The Son of God and the Son of Man. Why? His mother was 100% human. His father was 100% God. Therefore, you had a holy baby born into the dominion of darkness. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. By this, He has rescued us. Do you understand that that's a common word that we translate salvation? You were rescued. I like the word rescue. Because rescue said, you know what? I can't do this. And I think that's pretty cool. Because you know what? We can't. It took Him coming. God walking as a man. And He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's what He came for. That was the whole reason. I've had people with their intellectual swagger try to tell me, well, what if Israel would have accepted Him as king? I said, it's impossible. Well, how can it be impossible? Because they're in the dominion of darkness. It's impossible to find the kingdom of God if you're living in the kingdom of darkness. But he says here, because we have been rescued and because we have been transferred, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I like that. That's, that works for me. Redeemed. We are the redeemed. We have been taken out of the dominion of Satan and put into the dominion of Christ. 
we have been redeemed. We have the forgiveness of sins. The sins that you have, every sin that you have ever done, every sin that you did on the way to get here, and every sin you'll do after you leave here, you have been forgiven. Then in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. That word in the original language is, it's hard for us to understand it without having, thinking about it from a Jewish perspective, but understanding that it's in the Greek language. Okay. But it's the closest thing that I can, I get, but it doesn't do it any justice is a facsimile. God being, if you think about God, here's how I think about God. The water of the earth fits in the hollow of his hand, and the span of his hand is creation. Okay, now, that's kind of big. Okay, I mean, it's just my perspective. The span of his hand is creation. That's that's pretty good size. So, God being invisible... What would God look like if he was visible? Jesus. Okay. That's the image of the invisible God. That is what God looks like. And he were to show himself to humanity. He would look just like Jesus. Okay. So that's the image of the invisible God. And, you know, (laughs) it's so funny. I I get people and I'll talk to them and they'll say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. What? (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're like, I guess you have not read. Um, They wanted to kill him because he said he was God. That's kind of weird. Maybe they just misunderstood but no, he was God. He claimed to be God. If you look at his ministries, truthfully, if you take the harmony of the Gospels, the four Gospels, you put them together, he was bold about it in the first part of his ministry. And then one day he was casting out demons, and they came up to him, and their infinite wisdom, and their religiosity, and they said, it is by the power of Beelzebub that you do this. From that point on, if you look at the Gospels, he taught in parables. Okay, what he did is he would sit in public and he would tell a story. But it was more of a riddle. And unless he explained it to you, it can mean anything you want. And after that, he hid it because he said, I am before you and you say what I do is by the power of Satan. A house that is against itself is divided. And he didn't teach publicly anymore from that point on. And if you want to chase it all out, you'll find out that what he did at that point in time, the nation of Israel was hearing the gospel, but it was in riddles. Therefore, they would stand before a holy God and say, but we never heard. And he would say, yes, you did, but you rejected it. That was the beginning of judgment against the nation. He is God. 
If you wanted to see God manifest, the invisible God, then you see Jesus. But he uses another statement. He is the firstborn of creation. Now, boy, have I heard some heresies come out of this. Okay? There is actually a large, huge religious group who believes because of that verse that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. Okay? But that means they don't know what that word is. Because firstborn in the Greek is prototokos. Okay? And that word has nothing to do with numerics. It has to do with preeminence. There is nothing greater in creation than Jesus Christ. That's prototokos. That is the firstborn of creation. He is the single most important being in creation. Always has been. Always will be. And then he says, I let me try to make this clear. This is the one that, that drives you nuts because I've dealt with these people who believe that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. But then you read this. They're slick. For by him, all things were created. Okay. Who is the creator? God is. But this says Jesus is. Okay. So he's the preeminent in creation because he created creation. That make your head hurt yet? He messes with mine, then you sit there and go, what? He is the preeminent one. All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Whatever's in the heavens, whatever's on earth. But he goes on. The invisible, whether the and the visible and invisible. Where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And for him. You ever thought of that? Think about that real hard. You better think about that because that text there is one of the most encompassing things that you'll ever lay your head in. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, the heavens and the earth, okay, I got it. Okay, the invisible and the visible, oh, okay, I got that too. But then all of a sudden, we start thinking about dominions or rulers or authorities or thrones. You know what that means? That means that Jesus is neither a Democrat nor a Republican. He's not an independent. He's not a socialist. He's not a capitalist. You got to understand. And people say, well, what is he? He's king. Very simple, very easy. And yet everything that you see and everything that you listen to how man is going to fix it, understand who's that for? Be careful. 
I raise them up. I tear them down. Do you realize that there's not a governmental system that's ever existed on the planet Earth that Jesus Christ didn't create for himself? Yeah, but then just mark that part out of your Bible. That is so difficult. I have had opportunity to travel internationally and uh, have seen some some peculiar governments. Believe it or not, there are some that's more peculiar than ours. But I have seen some things, parliamentary. I've seen... Uh, there's just a bunch of weird ones out there. And yet I look at how God uses them sometimes to oppress people. You ever notice how many people come to salvation when they're suffering? One of the greatest harvest fields in the world right now is China. And it's against the law to own a Bible. Okay? You know, I see it in uh, Azerbaijan. It's 98% Muslim, and it's got a Stalinistic government. And I mean literally a Stalinistic. The family that rules Azerbaijan was put in by Joseph Stalin. It's similar to the same model that you see in North Korea. Joseph Stalin put those that family in as the leaders. And it's 98% Muslim and an atheist government. How does that work? It's easy. They've got oil. <laughs> it's amazing what oil can do. Okay? Can't get rid of fossil fuels. You'll lose peace. But I look at this and I think about it and I think, how many people are coming to salvation in Azerbaijan? The first trip I went there, they said, you're going to speak eight hours a day for five days to every pastor in Azerbaijan. Wow. Wow. The whole country? Yep. Whole country. All of them? Every one of them. There's only 23. And uh, you go, you spend time, you fellowship with them in the evening, and you talk to them and you hear them. And uh, these boys have got their hands full. But you know what? Every one of them's got a big old Cheshire grin on their face, and they are just having a blast because they know they're where God wants them. When I read this, and it says whether it's a throne, that's a monarchy, dominions, could be demonic, could be um, the domain of an elite family. Uh, you see rulers and authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. It tells me that the things that are there exist because of him. I don't know, some of you may remember, may not, I went up to Columbine the day of the shooting. And the only thing I knew for sure, somehow, God is glorified. Okay? I've, I said, Lord, I, this, is, this is tricky. I don't, I don't know how you're going to pull this one off. I don't know. But I know that all things are for you how are you glorified in this? And the day that I got up there, they took us over to the library and they were bringing buses of the kids over 
the parents were all huddled in the library waiting for their kids. And uh, they'd bring them in and the families would reunite and tears and shouts of joy. And it was just an amazing amount of elation. And then they would go get in their cars and go home. And it kept dragging on, dragging on. And then the numbers, instead of a full school bus, it would be partially. And then it got smaller and smaller. And finally the sheriff came back and he said, uh, there ain't no more. So you look around and you see these parents' faces coming to a realization that that child is dead. And they could not figure out how God was glorified. Okay? Took a while. By the end of the week, I was meeting with the, the district attorney for Jefferson County. He was doing some kind of thing with the morning TV shows. He had this big old arm full of folders. He said, I've been doing some research. He said, we have the highest paid school district in the state. We have the best trained officers, the dynamic between the police department and uh, the education system is second to none. We spend more money per student than anybody in Colorado. And our cops are well paid for. How does this happen? And it dawned on me. When you put man at his best, what do you end up with? Columbine. Okay? God wanted to show us, you can't remove me and if you try, that's what you end up with. Because I'll give you over. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. So I read that and I think, wow. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And then in verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's amazing to me. I have uh, a degree in electrical design. I always love electricity. It is a theory. <laughs> we don't know exactly how it works because it's moving at the speed of light. We have theories on how it works. I know how it is when it stops working. Uh, usually a big flash or some kind of welding event or something to that effect. But it's, uh, it's funny because they said what it is is that the atoms are moving, throwing electrons off to the next atom, and they're just going down the line. But they're doing it at the speed of light. That's where you get the energy, and that's how it works. And you're like, okay. They said, uh, you have to remember, like molecules repel each other, opposites attract each other. All right, I'm, good with, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. All right. That makes sense. That's why the electrons keep jumping. I'm going to go over here quick at speed of light. But then they tell you what the nucleus is made up of. It's all positives. But why do they stay together? What? I remember asking a professor that. That's can they all stay together. You told me likes repel each other. Why does the nucleus of an atom stay together? Well, I don't know. 
Said Rimmer's theory. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why I took philosophy too, because you could never be wrong with that. See what I mean? It all stays together. Why? He holds it together. I want you to think about that. Because we'll go home from here. Uh, some of us will partake of eggnog if you don't repent. I shall. My kids ain't there, so I will indulge it to <sighs> such a standard. We'll go home, maybe have a meal, maybe a meal tomorrow. Maybe our family's coming together tomorrow. Maybe it's coming together tonight. But I want you to think about something. Everything that you see is held together by that baby. And it's for him. The Apostle Paul tells us, and I remember when I woke up out of a diabetic coma, the first thing that went through my little pea brain was, you are not your own. You have been bought and paid for with a price. When I read this text here, I understand that. It was all by him, for him, and it's held together by him, for him. That's the infant holiness among us. But I do want to read to you its conclusion. Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystals, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bond servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night, and they will not need of light of a lamp or a light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful, true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show to his bondservants the things which must take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy in this book. It's Revelations 22, first seven verses. Okay? See, that is the hope that this little baby, holiness born to us. And we will know that holiness instantaneously at our death. He was born in holiness. We will die to holiness.
That is our hope. That, brothers and sisters, is Christmas. That is Christmas. We serve an omnipotent, holy God that took on this fragile container to redeem us from the kingdom, the domain, the rule of darkness. That is Christmas. That is what it's all about. The last two weeks on Sunday, I've been teaching on sin and how wonderful it actually is. And everybody's just looking at me going, gosh, gosh. But that's why we have Jesus. That's why we have redemption. Let's pray. Father, we come tonight to let our heads stretch a little bit, to think about prototokos, the preeminent, the image of the invisible God, you who created that heavens, that earth, the invisible, the visible, and all the things that happen are for you and by you. So Father, as we celebrate the birth of this child, let us long and celebrate the coming of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, my Father, my Savior, my Lord, my King. In Christ's name, amen.